let's give our attention just to the reading of the Word. I think this is important for us to just get a sense of this unit, this prayer that Jesus is offering here. John 17 is where we're at. John 17. And we'll start reading in verse 6 and read down through verse 19. John 17 and verse 6. I have manifested your name to the, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in, the, in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The question I want to start off is very simple. It's who, who are you? Um, or we could say it like this. Who do you think you are? <laughs> it sounds kind of a silly question and it may even kind of sound like a pretentious one. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's Mother's Day. On Mother's Day, you come to church to hear something practical for moms, right? And here we are in John 17. and He mentions nothing about moms. You didn't, you didn't come here to be asked who you were. You came here to know how to live. Um, but the question, who am I, who are you, is a very very practical question, as we're going to see today. I mean, just think, being Mother's Day, just if you were to say, I am a mother. Well, immediately, when you say that, we and you uh, know, uh, know that there are some things about that identity that, that ought to be reflected in how a mother behaves. At a baseline, the mother ought to care for and love her children. So, so your identity, again, is practical. Or if you say, I am a son or a daughter, there are ways children ought to act towards their parents uh, because of who they are. Or I am a doctor. We assume a doctor will act like a doctor. There are standards, there are expectations of what doctors should act like and how they ought to, 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 to behave. Or I'm a student, or I'm a U.S. citizen, or I am a pastor. I mean, so you see, our identity 
inherently has practical implications. Well, the question of identity then is, is very practical, and we'll spend a good time, good bit of our time this morning just focused on that question. Who, who am I as a Christian? Who am I as a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you are a Christian, understanding your identity will, will better, will, uh, understanding that identity better will have enormous implications in your life and daily life, even your life as mothers. If you're not a Christian, I'm thankful you're here. We are honored to have you in our assembly today and, and I hope that you have been warmly welcomed and and feel comfortable being here. We won't single you out or embarrass you or in, in anything, any way like that. We, we want you to be loved and we want you to be challenged to think and encouraged to be by your visit with us today. Uh, but, and, and I also hope that you'll get a little window into uh, Christian life, to the Christian identity. And my prayer is that, that and, and you need to know this, is that you can know this life too that we're going to be talking about today. But we're glad you're here. But, but, but we've reached a place, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John, and we're, we're getting towards the end of this Gospel account, John 17. And, and this is a place where we are listening, listen, just think about what's happening here. This is God speaking to God. I mean, we are, we are walking, as I said last week, on holy ground here in John 17. This, this chapter is one of the most extraordinary, one of the most profound portions of, in all of Scripture. I mean, this is this is a significant place. The context—it's the eve of Jesus' crucifixion, and 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 which which is the turning point in all human history. So this is the most significant event is about to happen, and Jesus knows it. And and this is his night. He's he spent the night over the previous four chapters. We've been seeing this. He spent this this night speaking intimately with this inner circle of friends, the eleven apostles. Now that Judas has left. And and so now though in chapter 17 he he turns from t- talking to them and he turns and addresses his father, God. And he and he prays to his father. So it's God the son speaking to God the father this intimate conversation between father son. And he allows though the disciples and us to eavesdrop on this conversation. What a extraordinary privilege that is that we have this prayer recorded for us. In John 17, because here this prayer is expressing the very longings of God that will and must be fulfilled. This is a significant prayer, as we'll see. It's very dense. It's a little puzzling at first, as you, as I, even as I read in a moment ago. You, you might be scratching your head and trying to see how it all fits together and what this phrase and what this expression means. And, and, and so I... Again, I, I understand that. I've been grappling with this for a couple of weeks now. But if we can just grasp some of what's being said here, I really believe and have been praying for this, that our lives can be radically changed if we really get a hold of this. And so last week we started looking at this prayer in verses 1 to 5, and this is where Jesus is first praying for Himself. And the key word as He's praying for Himself is glory or glorify. He asks, Father, glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. And so that's His focus. And, and this glory isn't just in, the, in some detached context. He, he prays that because His hour has come. His time has come. So it's, it's with reference to the cross that He's talking about glory. That hour of atonement. The hour of redemption. The hour of salvation being accomplished for man. 
And, and so God is glorified when His Son dies and rises again to rescue sinners and to give them eternal life. That's what He has been saying in verses 1-5. to So it's no surprise then that in this prayer Jesus turns from praying for Himself and for His glory and the salvation of sinners to now pray for those people that will be rescued. And that He's rescuing. So the glory of Jesus is seen in our salvation that's how he's known. That's how he's glorified. And so in verses 6 to 19, then, Jesus prays for his disciples. Now, strictly speaking, this prayer is not for us. This is a prayer for the eleven in the room with Jesus that night. That's the immediate context. It's praying for those, those eleven apostles. And so in, in verse 20, he goes on and he broadens it out and he prays for all believers in every age. And that does include us. Those who would believe in his name. And that's, that's us. But, but now I think there is clearly application for us in verses 6 to 19. And we're going we're gonna to draw that out. And, and, and I'll tell you why I think we can certainly apply this to us. And I've been, again, kind of grappling with this all week and seeing these connections. But we'll see next week that in verses 20 to 26, when he really is praying for all believers in every age, a lot of the things Jesus asked for echo what he's already prayed in verses 6 to 19. And so it's as if he is in that last section saying, the stuff that I, that I have been praying for you 11 in principle, I'm praying for every believer. Whoever believe. And so we'll see that, that commonality. So with that said, and we'll respect the immediate context, but we'll also carefully apply these verses in our own lives. And so we're going to see four movements this morning through this part of Jesus' prayer. And the first thing we'll see is the person that I am. The person I am. And we'll see the protection I need, the joy that I know, and the life that I lead. First, the person that I am in verses 6 to 10. He said, look at verse 9 with me. Look down to verse 9. John 17, verse 9. He says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. And he goes on. But, so this is not a prayer for everybody. This is not some general prayer for all people. This is a prayer for a particular group of people. Them. A little pronoun. Now in verses 6 to 8, go back up from verse 9. He tells us who they are. And I really want us to grasp this. Now, some say that his focus on the apostles doesn't really begin until verse 10 or verse 11. Regardless, what he says here, he repeats in his prayer for us. And so, but so I think these opening words really apply to, again, to all believers. But what is he's praying for them? I, I just say, what we're going to see here is, is critical. And I don't want you to doze off. I know this is a, I know this is Mother's Day, and I know this is a deep, deep passage to be in. My wife's not here, so I can do this. You know, she's out of town. And, um, and so hang in there with me for a few minutes, and I'll show you how this is, and we'll apply it directly to moms. We can do this. Now, if I flop this morning, there's always next week, and we'll just move on. So uh, that's a great thing about preaching week after week. There are, there are four aspects to our identity, this question, the person I am, that we'll see here. So, our identity as disciples, as Christians. And so the first aspect that we'll see is that we belong to the Father from all eternity. This is what Jesus makes clear. In the middle of verse 6, look at this, of this they, them, that he's designating, Jesus says, yours they were. And then again at the end of verse 9, they are yours. 
He's talking to his father and he says, they were yours, they are yours. So here are people who belong and who have belonged to the father. They're his. And belonging to the father is what distinguishes them, and verse 9, from the world. You hanging with me? So so there's great mystery here. And I'm not going to pretend otherwise. This is much deeper than this little feeble mind could possibly understand the the full and and fully grasp what's being said here. But 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 what he's saying is before even before you and I became Christians, if you are a Christian, we uniquely belonged to the Father in this sense. God isn't the Father of all humankind. He's the creator of all, he's the God of all, he's the Lord of all, but he's not Father of all. That's not what scriptures teaches. He's father of those who've been chosen by him before the foundation of the world. Those who are yours. Those who were yours. So here's the mystery that sometimes we kind of choke on. And we see this in scripture. If you are a Christian, the reason you're a Christian, and I'm a Christian, is that the father chose you to belong to him from all eternity. It's not all the answer, but that is part of the answer and foundational to answering this question. Who am I? Who are the person that I am? If I am a Christian, I belong and have belonged to the Father. That's what Jesus says. He chose you. He elected you. He predestined you to be His son or daughter. The Bible uses all of that language. I'm not making those words up. That's right out of Scripture. The Bible teaches this repeatedly and it teaches it clearly. And if I'm a Christian, then it's not finally, ultimately, because of my choice, but it's the Father's electing love. It's not because I am good or was good, nor you. It's, 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 not, it's not simply that the Father foresaw who would become Christians. It's that God chose us and effectually called us. We belong to Him. You were His, you are his. And we, we need to bow before this, even if we can't possibly understand all of that. And so that's the first answer, first aspect to this question, who am I? Who is the person that I am? If I'm a Christian, I am one from who from all eternity belongs to the Father. I don't understand that, but that's what Jesus claims here. Second aspect is that the Father gave us to Jesus. He says this, Repeatedly, Did you catch this as we read? And if we read on through verse 26, he'll say it again about us. But, but verse 2, four times he says this. You have given him, uh, back in verse 2 of John 17, you have given him authority over all flesh, given that to the Son, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. Verse 9, I am praying for those whom you have given me. So four times, and just in these verses, and we could go on and see more occasions, he's talking about us, he makes the point that a Christian is someone who, at some point in the eternal life of God, the Father gave the Son, gave us to the Son. Now there's no point in asking, when did that take place? That's a futile question. We're outside of the realm of time here. But that the Father at some point in 
in eternity past says to Jesus, that's Peter. Take him. Keep him. That's John. Take him. Keep him. That's Joe. Take him. Keep him. If you're a Christian, you put your name there. That's Debbie. Take him. Keep him. This is is what Jesus is saying in in essence. Somewhere in the eternal life of God, that happened and the Father gave you to Jesus. That's part of who you are if you are a Christian. That's what Jesus says here. And that's, so that's part of the answer. Again, second aspect. You, you belong to the Father for all eternity. You have been given by the Father to Jesus, the Son. And then the third aspect. Jesus revealed the Father to us. That's part of our identity. Is that the Father has been manifested or revealed to us. Verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now, of course, last week we talked about this in Jesus' earthly ministry. We can, we can say that He manifested or revealed the Father to everybody that He came in contact with. He was God in flesh, and so His ministry was an open ministry. He did His miracles openly. He taught openly. He, 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 he lived and worked openly. So in that sense, He revealed the Father to everybody. Yet to some people... The only effect of Jesus' miracles and teaching, and particularly we see of it as parables, is that it, it, the only effect it had was to close the eyes and to close the ears and to harden hearts. And only to some was the Father really revealed and manifested. Only to some did the Son give eternal life, which is what? To know God, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So to whom? Was it to the ones who won the salvation lottery? Was it to those just kind of random chance? Those are the ones? Was it, was it to just the good people that God, God manifested His name through His Son? Was it to the religious people? To the people that would have the right personality? To the people that would be curious and, and open-minded? No. We, 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 again, we, just, we can't conceive of this. But the Father was manifested to every single man and woman to whom the Father gave to Jesus from all eternity. I know that's heavy. But that is, I'm just trying to explain the, the language of what Jesus is saying here. And again, I will make the connection here in a moment. That's God's choice. That's not human lottery. And we have to trust the wisdom and the infinite um, counsel of God. So now we get to the fourth aspect of our identity, the person that I am. Who, who am I? I belong to the Father from all eternity. I am the, I am the gift of the Father to the Son. I am the, the, the one whom the Father has been manifested to me, revealed to me by the Son. And, then, and now, in a sense, after all of those other three, the fourth aspect is that we have responded by faith in Jesus as God's Son. We have responded by faith in Jesus as God's Son. That's the fourth aspect of our identity that Jesus highlights here. You see this at the end of verse 6. They have kept your word. They have kept your word. That doesn't mean they were good little boys and girls. Because they weren't. Not if we're talking about the eleven, not if we're talking about you and me. It doesn't mean that they, 
They were, they were so moral and they just obeyed everything that Jesus said. No, that's not it. What, this is expanded in the next two verses, verses 7 and 8. But look at verse 7. This is what it means that they kept your word. They know that everything you have given me is from you. So they recognize that Jesus was God's messenger. You're sent from God. And then verse 8, For I have given them the words that you gave me. Whatever the Father spoke, Jesus relayed that. And so I, I gave them the words you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and that they have believed that you sent me. And so, so, so there is this faith, there is this acceptance of Jesus' words as being God's words. And, and they believe that the Father sent Jesus as Savior, as Messiah. That was the hope, that was the expectation. So they, they believe, yes, Jesus, you're the one. I trust in Him, personally. Now we often think this is the only aspect to our identity. When we answer that question, who am I? So if someone asked you, who are you? We might say, I'm, I'm, I'm a father, or you know, I'm, I'm an accountant, or I'm a student, or I'm a marine. We, but but they, they go, no, 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 that's not what we're talking about. When, when you realize they're, they're getting to a religious question, who, who are you? You say, well, I'm a Christian. And then they might ask, well, why are you a Christian? Well, because I decided to put my trust, my faith in Jesus Christ. Now that is a good answer. That is a correct answer. And, and that you, there is all kinds of biblical support for that answer. So that is perfectly true. But it's not the whole answer. And that's what Jesus is kind of pulling back the veil for us to see here. That's not everything that's happened. And, and so hang on with just a few more minutes. And we're going to tie this all together. I promise. Uh, because I want you to really get this. Because again, we'll see the implications of this are exponential in your life and in mine. So we, we think we're Christians because we've chosen to be Christians, period. And, and if we, but listen, if, if we think we're Christians only because we've chosen to be Christians, what will life seem like? It will seem like we're kind of floating around on the top of this tempest sea, this angry sea, in a little inflatable raft. There's no security in that. There's no stability in that. It's, it's just we're just moved along. We're, we're, we're tossed around by everything because it's just my decision and that's it. And I know how fickle I am. So I'm constantly questioning whether the, the, the decisiveness of my own heart. But once we grasp, listen, once we grasp that we're Christians, yes, because we've trusted in Jesus as God's Son, but beyond that, we're Christians because of the eternal choice of the Father. We're His. We belong to Him. And we have from all eternity. And we're Christians because we're the gift of the Father to the Son by grace. And we're Christians because the Son has made the Father known to our hearts and given us eternal life, which is to know the only true God and Jesus Christ. Once we grasp that, and the Son becomes this rock of refuge in the whatever stormy seas life brings to us, we, we have this strong anchor that holds us fast. You see the difference? And, and so because, because our Christianity is not rooted ultimately in the shallowness of our own decision, but it's rooted, rooted ultimately in the depth of the eternal life of the triune God. That's huge. That is what Jesus is saying here. 
The question, who am I? The person I am, it's more than just some choice I've made. It is that. It's part of it. But, but, but my life is caught up in the reality of an eternal triune God. And so I want you to get that. I, I know it's deep. I know it's heavy. I've, been, I've had the benefit of scratching in this verse all you know for two weeks now, or in this passage for a couple weeks, and we'll have another week to do this. But this has wonderful practical application. I want to connect some dots for you, particularly for moms this morning. Moms, listen to me. I know your kid's pulling on your arm and you know asking for candy and all that stuff, but as best you can, listen to me. Your identity is more than what you do. Understand that? How you look, where you live, what you drive, how you dress, how productive you are, how smart your kids are. It's, your identity is more than that. And so, if you're, if you're in Christ, weary mom, you belong to the Father. And you are God's, the Father's gift to His Son, whom the Son has made manifest, has made the Father known to you, and you've trusted in Him. Your security, your satisfaction, your joy, your purpose, meaning in life, your assurance, your hope, everything is it's not rooted in the performance of your mom duties. It's more most importantly rooted in this, who you are in Christ. The person you are as a Christian makes all the difference. I know you face incredible pressure to be super mom. And we all view you like the little video earlier, you know, with cape flying through the air and and that's what you look like to us, but I know you feel pressure to be high performance, always ready mom. You're supposed to cook healthy, creative meals that you know are photo worthy and and out of ingredients that you grew in your backyard and this is the pressure you face. You, you're, you're supposed to keep just a spotless house. And you're supposed to homeschool your 18 adorable, happy, well-balanced, well-mannered, you know, perfectly good kids. And you're supposed to maintain your slim figure by doing CrossFit and running marathons. And, and you're supposed to be crafty and sell handmade goods on Pinterest and run a little side business. And you're supposed to have a marriage that's just full of romance and every day is just wonderful and you got your stud muffin husband and it's just, life's just great. I know, now we just went into fiction, I realize. but uh, And you're supposed to have time to record all of this for the world to see on social media and to write with wit and cleverness and everything's just supposed to... I, I know we laugh. But I, I think there, there is that pressure that many moms feel. Listen, the super mom is a myth. Well, let's bust it right now. I think you know that in your mind, but many may still be chasing that mirage and trying to catch up to that. You may be looking for your identity and what you do and an image that you maintain as mom there's enormous pressure to find your identity there. 
But what your children need is not super mom. They they need a mom who may not have her act together in every aspect of life, but she knows who she is in Christ. She knows who she is. She knows she belongs to the Father. She knows she's the Father's gift to the Son. She knows the Father has manifested Himself through His Son to her. She knows where her trust lies. It's in Jesus Christ as God's Son. She knows who she is. And she's being transformed daily by the grace that saved her is now sanctifying her, which is exactly where Jesus is going to go in this prayer. And so the more you grasp your identity in Christ, the more you'll be able to mother well. Not by man's standards, which puts all that pressure, but by God's standards. And so I want you to just breathe the gospel air into your lungs today. And this first part of the first time, I'm thinking, why are we in John 17 on Mother's Day? And then I'm looking at these verses. I'm thinking, I need to hear this. And I think there are a lot of weary moms that need to hear this. Who am I? Jesus, Jesus starts out as He prays for His disciples. You know, so he's going to pray for us. These same words, basically. He says, this is, this is who they are. They belong to You, Father. You've given them to Me. I've manifested Your name to them. They've trusted in Me. That's who you are. That's the most important thing. Everything else is going to flow from that. So, so if we've lingered long here, it's it's not on accident. And if we, if I have to just scrap the rest, you know, the end of the sermon, that's okay. I want you to get this because who you are is a very practical question. I hope you've seen that now. Let's let's get back to John 17. And so, remember, this is part of Jesus's prayer to the Father for His. Disciples. So it's their identity is what, what we're going to see. It's, and this is why Jesus begins here. He, he talks about their identity. Remember, He's not teaching. He's praying. He's calling out to His Father. On the eve of His crucifixion, His heart's heavy for Himself, for, for His people. So He's praying to the Father. And, and the very reason that He's going to request these things of the Father that He's going to go on to ask the Father for, it's because of our identity. That's why he starts there. Because of everything he says in 6-10, through 10, this is why he says these things to the Father and asks these things to the Father. The reason Jesus prays is not because we've moved toward Him and because we were so inclined to go to Him. It's not that the, that, um, that was so good of those people to choose me and to give their lives to me. So I'll pray for them. No, He prays because the Father chose us and gave us to a Son. Verse 9 makes that clear. This is why he's asking now. Verse 10, he says, All mine are yours, all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. So Jesus' glory is bound up in our salvation, in our security, in our sanctification, as we'll see. So that's, that's why he asked the thing that he asked in the verses that follow. So second movement. Alright, we'll be quicker with these last three. The protection I need. The protection I need. Verse 11. And I am no longer in the world. Now, again, you're saying, yes, He is when He's saying this. But he's, he, again, we've seen this through John. He, the, 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 the cross is so certain. He, he, he's already speaking as if it's happened. But again, on the eve of the crucifixion, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. And then He says, Holy Father, keep them in Your name, which You have given Me. That they may be one even as we are one. And we're going to talk more about that next week. Verse, let's look down to verse 15. 
We'll come back and get in the middle. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So why do we need protection? So the protection I need, why do we need it? First, we are left in the world. We're left in the world. He's already told the disciples, the other eleven, that he's, that he's leaving. He's told them that in this upper, upper room discourse. He's going back to the Father, but they will remain in this wicked world. He's not going to leave them alone. He's going to send the Spirit, but, but he's leaving. And so Christians, we live in the world. I know that's not, wow, revolutionary thought or something like that, but we, we live in this world. We don't, we're not to retreat into our Christian ghetto or something like that. We, we, we don't cut ourselves off from society. Jesus is praying for us as we live in, in this wicked world. I know I don't have to convince you of this. You're aware of this reality. I know most of you well enough to know that this is a struggle. You feel this. You, 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 you live in the world. You don't live like a hermit. And it's difficult. Why? Because you, you and I don't belong in this world. This is not... It's not our home. We're, we're not of the world, verse 16 says, but like Jesus isn't of the world. Yet we're involved in the world, and in, in, in society, neighborhoods, governments, community, um, schools, work environments. We're, we're, we're always in the world. That's where we live, but the world is no longer our home, and its values aren't our values. And so that brings challenges. You know this. Again, so why do we need protection? We're left in the world. Secondly, we're hated by the world. Again, we've already seen this in John 15, John 16, but verse 14, look back there with me. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So the world's not just a live and let live place. No, it's full of hostility against Christians and against Christ. We're bound to face hostility if we live as faithful Christians. The world won't like us. The world loves conformists. The world hates those who are distinct and different and, and stand out. And that's exactly what Christians do. So listen though. We're not given the luxury of either A, compromising with the world, or B, disengaging from the world. That's not, that's not what Jesus calls us to. We can't be kind of like chameleons and just just take the color of the world around us so that it keeps us safe and try, that's our safety mechanism is just blend in with the world that's not an option and we also can't retreat behind the walls of the church and build our little compounds and try to escape from the world and cut ourselves off from society and and kind of like live like we're in some kind of christian zoo or something like that we're just people can watch us from the outside so so we're we're left in the world And we're left in a world that's hostile. third reason we need protection is that we are in the crosshairs of the ruler of this world. The prince of this world. There is an evil one, verse 15 says, that Jesus prays will be kept from while we live in this domain of darkness. Evil one. He's called him the ruler of this world, other places in John. So, So he prays for protection. Look at verse 12 with me. While I was with them, with the eleven, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Then he says, not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, I don't know how that sounds to you when you read that. Maybe, but let me just just say, the fact that Judas was, quote, lost, doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't very good at protecting. It's not what he's saying here. 
sorry, Father, I messed up. I, I, I thought I had them. I thought I was keeping them, but one of them got away. Nobody's perfect. That's not what Christ is saying here. In some way, again, this is where we just, if I had any hair left, I would probably rub it off just trying to think about this. Um, in some way that's deeper than we can possibly understand, Judas was himself guilty and personally accountable for what he did, and yet he was also bound to fulfill Scripture and was ultimately lost. I, I don't understand. But, but Jesus has done the job of protecting every single one of the ones that the Father gave Him. He bats a thousand. He keeps those whom the Father gives to Him. And so, Jesus prays this prayer. It's a prayer for our protection, for our safekeeping. And listen, it is always answered. There's never a prayer that Jesus says to the Father that the Father says, No. No, they're, they're, he prays according to the will of God. And, and so, again, we, we, it's just hard to conceive. But so if you've trusted Christ, your life is rooted in the eternal choice of God and you're the gift of the Father to the Son. Therefore, the Father will keep you and protect you. He will do exactly what the Son asks Him to do. You will not be lost. The Father will answer Jesus' prayer. We need protection, we need security, and the Father gives it for all eternity. I heard a good illustration of this um, in, in, in this week by R.C. Sproul. And he was talking about if you have a father who's walking down a, a, a very busy high-speed street, um, like Corinth Road, let's just say. Or, but just pretend you're walking down a street, cars going by 50 miles per hour, and, and you're, you're, you've got your three-year-old son with you walking along that busy street. And he's holding on to his hand. There are cars, again, racing past, drivers texting as they go, you know, weaving as they do. And the child is just a few feet from disaster, from death. If that child's safety depends upon how strong the grip of the boy is on his father's hand, or how tightly he holds on to his dad, then that child is in grave danger. You wouldn't say to the child, you know, just hold my hand and you just have a little limp thing out here. And you just hope that he holds on so that he doesn't die. What keeps the child from destruction isn't the grip of the boy on his father's hand, but the grip of the father's hand on the boy. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's asking, he's saying, hold them. They're yours. You gave them to me. Keep them. And do you possibly think that the father won't answer that prayer? So the person I am, the protection I need, they're the joy I receive. We'll be quick here. The joy I receive. Verse 13, right in the middle of what we've been looking at here. It says, but now I am coming to you. And these things, these things they've spoken of in the upper room, I think is what the context indicates. These things I speak in the world while I'm with you, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Or, or you could translate this, that they might have the full measure of my joy in themselves. So he wants them to share his joy. Not just a little kind of little sweetness mixed in with all the difficulties of an obedient life. Just, you know, just a little something to take the edge off. That's not it. But full, to the rim, overflowing, abundant joy. 
in a hostile world. So this joy will come for the eleven after the resurrection. We've seen this already and we're going to see it again soon. And on this side of the resurrection though, we also can know this joy. We saw this in John 15 verse 11. These things about the vine, the branches, the upper room discourse. I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So in verse 13 of John 17, he's translating that into prayer for these men and for us. Notice it's not just any kind of joy. I just want them to be happy. Some way, somehow, if they, you know, different sources of happiness for different people. No, he says, this is my joy. It's joy that's in Christ. It's rooted in Him. It's not dependent on circumstances, on situation of your life. It's, it's rooted in the sovereign love of God and Jesus Christ. This is my joy. I want it to be full, overflowing in them. And then the last movement, the life that I lead. The last few, few verses, Jesus prays for their, for our lives, that we would be sanctified by the Word of God. Verse 17, sanctify them in, your tru- in the truth. Your Word is true. Sanctify, it's the same word, holy, holiness. It means to be set apart, to put in a separate category from what's ordinary. You have holy dishes, perhaps, in your house. I know we do. They're in a glass cabinet. We pull them out like one day a year. They're set apart for a special, unique purpose. They're not the normal, mixed-matched plates we use every day and eat on. No, they're sanctified. They're holy dishes. And, this, and, and so, so Jesus, He doesn't want His followers to just be ordinary in the world, but He wants them to be set apart, to be distinct, for a special purpose. And so, so we think of holiness. Don't think of... You know, some ethereal, candlelit monastery, you know, this, this, that kind of picture or something like that. This is very nitty-gritty, real-life stuff. How you relate to your neighbor, how you speak, how you, what you laugh about, how you, uh, how you get along with people. I mean, this is the stuff of holiness. It's just life, practical life. And it's not just the things that you shouldn't do. I mean, we think holiness, we think, oh, all those, you're going to give me all the things that I can't do. And what I need to avoid. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't. That's not it. It's positive. It, 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 it is that. It's avoiding those things that are wrong and sinful. <clears throat> but it's much more than that. You know, if you compare holiness to health, you don't say, well, what's a healthy person? Well, a healthy person is just someone who's not dying of a disease. Well, no, that's true. But there's more to it than that. Like, I could be disease-free, but if I don't have the physical fitness and the energy to just get up off the couch and do normal activities that someone my age and situation in life should be able to do, then I'm not healthy. And so, so, so when we talk about holiness, there's a positive to this. It's, it's something that just sets us apart. So he says, he prays to the Father, sanctify them. Make them holy. Make them distinct. Set them apart so that even though they're in the world, by their lives they will be distinct from it. And, and what do we see about the sanctified life? One, it, it's a set-apart life is, is a life that's conformed to the Word of God. It's conformed to God's truth. The instrumental means of holiness is the truth. It's, it's what's real. Where do we find what's real? It's in what God has spoken. Now again, in the context, it's not like Jesus is holding up his Bible as he says this. Your word is truth. It wasn't a copy of the scriptures in Jesus' hand because, I mean, the New Testament certainly wasn't written at this time and, and, and he wouldn't have access to a personal copy of the Old Testament. But, 
But what he's saying is what you've spoken, God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the words that you've given to me, that I've spoken to them, the words Jesus received from the Father made known to the world and to his people, that is the word that we do have in the scriptures. So for us, we can, there's nothing wrong with saying your word is truth and we're sanctified as we conform to this truth. So, so a holy life, it's not about dressing in some strange way or eating weird thing or, you know, having Christian version of every, Everything the world has, that's not a sanctified life. It's a life that's being changed by God's Word. It's truth. It's a life that, that's lived under the authority of His Word, of what He said. It's a life that, that hungers for the truth. That's a set-apart life. Also, a set-apart life is leveraged for God's mission. It's leveraged for God's mission. It's not just about being good and hanging on until heaven, just trying to kind of not really mess things up and not be a terrible person, but I want to be, you know, holy and set apart and, 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 but just kind of make it to heaven. No, we're set apart for Christ's mission. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And again, in context, he's talking to the eleven. They have a unique commission, but he's going to repeat these words for us. We're going to talk more about this in coming weeks. But, it, but it, uh, it's a life leverage for God's mission. We're distinct from the world in the sense that we have purpose. We're not just hanging on and just kind of seeing what we can do with this, the, the days that we have in this life and earn the most money or have the most fun or take the most vacations or something like that. No, there's a, there's a purpose. We have a mission that God has entrusted to us that we join Him on of making disciples of all nations. Jesus says this is part of a set-apart life. You're you're engaged in that mission. And then finally, a set-apart life is a life that's transformed by Christ's sacrifice. It's transformed by Christ's sacrifice. In order for all of this to happen, see, see what Jesus does. Verse 19, And for their sake I consecrate, that's the same word, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus says, I set myself apart that... That, that they can be set apart. What is, he, what is he saying? Well, in context, clearly he has in mind the cross. And so he's saying, I, I'm, I'm going to the cross. They, that they might be set apart. So our sanctification, it's rooted, Jesus says, in his own substitution. You see that. So it's the cross work that and it's this cross work that we come to the table in just a moment and we'll remember together. This isn't, this isn't just a dry, dull remembrance and because Jesus said do it, we just got to do it and then we kind of do it again next month. No, this is, this is, this is a reminder for us that our, that our lives, our set-apartness, our, the way that we're to live in this world, the way that Jesus was praying we, 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 we would live in this world is deeply connected and, and inseparably connected to this, this remembrance right here. It's what Christ has done for us through His death, through His resurrection. This is the grounds for change in our life and growth in our life and and distinctness in our life and mission in our life, joy in our life. It all comes back to here. So I want you to know who you are. I don't mean that in a silly way, obviously now. I hope that's clear. You're here, you're sitting this morning and you're a Christian. You are loved by God. Chosen by Him. God is manifesting Himself to you. Your gift, Father to the Son. Your trust is in Him. That's why you're a Christian. 
And that's a great source of assurance and comfort to us today. And so, as you go, moms, <laughs> from here and everybody else, you go back to your homes, your workplaces, you change diapers, you, you uh, cook meals, you go to work, you do whatever, whatever stuff you go on. Do it with a mindfulness of who you are. Let that inform and affect all the things you do. Don't separate what we're talking about from this one. That was, that was good for church. Now I go to life. No. Who you are, implications in every aspect of life. And I hope that by God's grace you will see that even more this week. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we praise you and we thank you for the wonderful depth of, of this prayer and the depth of your love for us, God, that we remember as we come to this table in just a moment we sing and so I, I, I praise you that, 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 that deep in the heart of the eternal triune Godhead you've chosen us, you've called us to be yours and so we pray that you would give us in our daily lives a deeper grasp, a deeper apprehension of our real our rooted, our secure forever identity because we so easily slip into thinking that we are what we do. We are uh, what our parents have done. We are what our past has shown. But I pray that we would have a, a greater awareness of who we really are in Christ. And that our lives might show that in show that in in the distinctiveness which with, with which we live. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.